0: Hot drinks have been an essential part of our social dynamic for centuries. From festive wassail gatherings in 13th century England, to serving up hot flips in pubs and taverns all the way through to Tom and Jerry's of mid-century America. Nowadays warm drinks like toddies are often associated with our cool weather activities. This drink is almost universally connected to Charles Dickens's classic, A Christmas Carol. Its flavors of citrus and sweet wine are sure to warm up anyone on a cold winter's night. We're exploring the history and origins of The Smoking Bishop. Welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. This is a bonus episode of the podcast I like to call Seasons Eating Side Dish. We're focusing on dishes that don't usually get the spotlight during the holidays. This season, I wanted to change it up a little bit and turn the focus on some seasonal beverages. Seasons Eatings can be found wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Seasons Eatings is also found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you love the show, then I humbly ask you to share this podcast with someone you think would love to hear more about the history of Christmas and the foods which shape the holiday we love so much. This time, I'd like to thank listener Morris for the suggestion for this beverage. If you want to give me suggestions for future episodes, Just email me at SeasonsEatingsPodcast at gmail.com. All the links can be found in the show notes at SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com. Various versions of mulled wine, like the smoking bishop, have been around since the time of the ancient Greeks. Hippocrates supposedly invented Hippocrates a spiced wine with honey as a medicinal tonic, although historians say it's more likely that his name was attributed later. Recipes for hippocras appear in English cookbooks well into the 16th century. The Romans were probably the first to warm their wine during harsh winters in Northern Europe. Their version contained spices we wouldn't consider using today, bay leaves and pepper. By the Middle Ages, Cloves, cinnamon, and oranges were more common additives. In addition to any medicinal benefits, they also helped to make the wine more palatable. The mulled wine of this era used either red or white wine. Incidentally, the word mull first appeared in about 1618 and meant flavored with spices. When it comes to authors and their affinity for boozy libations, Ernest Hemingway tends to get all the love. Being the season of giving, let's not forget to give some thanks to another literary great who has no lack of spirit, forgive the pun, for his classics, Charles Dickens. The 19th century British novelist was well known for his knowledge of spirits and drinks, a fact further elucidated by his great-grandson, Cedric Dickens, in the 1980 book, drinking with dickens yes there's a book all about dickens and booze and that's something to celebrate the novelist and satirist doused his books with references to victorian tipples those both forgotten and living on today that includes arguably the first holiday's most esteemed written work a christmas carol published in 1843 This is the timeless tale of the original Grinch, the rich, greedy curmudgeon Ebenezer Scrooge and his journey through time with the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. That narrative subsequently leads to Scrooge's self-realization that he's spent years being, well, a total Scrooge to his city, his family, and his undeservedly devoted employee, Bob Cratchit, followed by a complete turnaround through which he becomes the embodiment of the christmas spirit for the rest of his days a christmas carol is also home to one of dickinson's more particularly well cited placements of alcoholic potations within his novels in the story's final scene scrooge feeling a surge of the christmas spirit after his wild transformation needs a holiday cheer inflected drink and so comes to the wretched abode of poor old Cratchit, who's about to sit down to a meager holiday meal with his family. A merry Christmas, Bob, said Scrooge, with an earnestness that could not be mistaken as he clapped him on the back. A merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family and we'll discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of Smoking Bishop, Bob. Smoking Bishop is a warm mulled wine and port drink, sometimes known simply as Bishop. Out of all the mulled drinks around Christmas, this is one of my favorites. Bishop is made with oranges or sometimes lemons or sometimes both with wine, port, spices, and sugar, which is according to taste. It received the name Bishop for its purple color, similar to a bishop's formal attire, and smoking comes from the vapors rising when it's being mulled or heated. Jonathan Swift wrote the couplet Cook Quotes in 1738. It appears to contain the earliest mention of Bishop in English. His poem consists of just four lines, so I'll give you the full version here. Come by my fine oranges, sauce for your veal, and charming when squeezed and a pot of brown ale, well roasted with sugar and wine in a cup. They'll make a sweet bishop when gentle folks sup. However, in the year that Swift's poem was first published, a recipe for Bishop appeared in Sweden in the first edition of a cookie book by Kaisa Warg. In this popular book, which went into many editions, it's called in Swedish, Biskop, Though in some later Swedish works, the more German Bischof is used. As in Swift's poem, the drink is flavored with roasted oranges rather than the lemon mentioned in Cook's recipe. Although I've never seen any evidence that they were ever used in England, in the German and Scandinavian world, bishop is sometimes served from specialist lidded bowls made in the shape of bishop's mitres. A number of these have survived, the earliest dating from the 1750s. Perhaps bishop was adopted from the German-speaking word and is not English at all. These extraordinary vessels indicate that the beverage had a high profile on the continent nearly a hundred years before Dickens wrote a Christmas Carol. The smoking bishop has largely been relegated to history, but its main ingredient, port, remains an iconic drink of the contemporary British Christmas. Chad Luddington, author of The Politics of British Wine, explains how port, a Portuguese fortified wine, became the drink of England. At the end of the 17th century, the English and the French were engaged in a series of tit-for-tat economic wars that created protective trade barriers on both sides, he says. Such conflict raised the price of French wines like Bordeaux or Claret, which had been the choice of a certain class of English drinkers since the Middle Ages. As the usual tipple became too expensive, buying it was deemed unpatriotic. English merchants then went prospecting for wine in other countries in southern Europe, says Lennington. They just continued down the coast, where their boats had been going to France, they found Spanish wines and Portuguese wines. Then when the English signed the Methuen Treaty in 1703, they gave the Portuguese the privilege of having their wines taxed at one-third the rate of French wine. That secured port's place as a far more affordable middle-class libation. According to Ludington, through the 18th and into the 19th century, British port merchants became not just shippers, but producers as well. By the time Dickens' A Christmas Carol was published in 1843, Brits owned a fair amount of land in Portugal, which allowed them to control every aspect of production and shipping. At the same time, the peninsular import became a useful tool for newly moneyed Victorians, like Scrooge. Throughout the 19th century, there's this long process of new money coming in and joining the English aristocracy, says Lennington. Those who can afford to buy port, store it in their cellars. What better expression of the longevity of your family than pulling out a bottle that is 30, 40, or even 50 years old? Port is the perfect wine for a mercantile elite that wants to convince other people that it's largely aristocratic, even when it wasn't. A short time later, after a Christmas carol is published, you find this recipe from Eliza Action's classic 1845 book, Modern Cookery for Private Families. Make several incisions into the rind of a lemon. Stick cloves in these incisions and roast the said lemon by the fire. Put small but equal quantities of cinnamon, mace, cloves, and allspice, and a brace of ginger into a saucepan. And with a half a pint of water let it boil until it reduced to one half boil one bottle of port wine then burn a portion of the spirit out of it by applying a lighter taper to the saucepan which contains it pour the roasted lemons and spice into the wine stir it up well then let it stand near the fire for 10 minutes rub a few knobs of sugar into the rind of a lemon Put the sugar into a bowl or a jug with the juice of half a lemon. Pour the wine upon it, sweeten it to your taste, and serve it with the lemon and spice floating in it. A smoking bishop is certainly full-bodied and made with port, a fortified wine It is at the top end of the mulled wine spectrum in terms of potency. Although being made with bitter oranges and or lemons, it is also then sweetened to a preferred amount of sugar. I like it as it comes, tart and fruity, although I do do serve a smoking bishop to guests with a small bowl of sugar and a spoon so they can sweeten it themselves, as suggested by the 1836 recipe. In terms of quality and character, the monumentally aromatic and robust flavours of a smoking bishop hit the taste buds at the back and the sides of the tongue, leaving the tip and the centre of the tongue devoid of any initial input into the equation a sure sign of a hearty and mighty mulled wine, one which brings a rosy glow to the cheeks. In a later edition of The Christmas Carol, published in 1907, E. Gordon Brown describes smoking Bishop with the following passage. The drink is made by pouring red wine, either hot or cold, upon ripe bitter oranges. The liquor is heated and mulled in a vessel with a long funnel which then could be pushed far down into the fire. And in an edition of Punch, published in 1848, they highly recommend it as a part of a satirical diatribe. Both egg-hot and elder wine must yield in their elevating and invigorating properties to a good bishop. We'll dive into the making of this Christmas drink and some of the bishop's relatives after the break.
1: What does a poet and his friends who are Christmas geeks do when they get together? (sniffs) They get drunk and argue about Yuletide lit. It's time to get lit for Christmas. Join us as we open the liquor cabinet, grab a book off the shelf, and have a little boozy conversation about what warms our chestnuts and makes us holly and jolly. Find out the best screwdriver to Scrooge with. Get the recipe for Gift of the Magi Mojitos. Enjoy a little peppermint patty Polar Express. Everyone's welcome at this party. It's time to do some jingle bell jello shots and talk about the great and maybe not so great works of Christmas literature. Hurry up. The fireplace is roaring and Bing Crosby's crooning. We're two drinks in, and the spirits of Christmas past, present, and future are flowing. Grab a cup of cheer and find a place on the couch. It is time to get lit for Christmas.
0: Don't you wish the holidays would last the entire year? Well, now it can. Head on over to MyMerryChristmas.com where you can enjoy the holidays all year long. You can chat with other Christmas enthusiasts on any topic you can think of. Movies, books, cooking, decorating, anything. If it's about Christmas, it's here. Joining My Merry Christmas is completely free. But if you become a Premier member, you can enjoy extra bonuses such as a yearly Christmas card exchange, and Kringle Radio, Santa's exclusive Christmas radio station. For only $19.95, you can become a premier member of MyMerryChristmas.com for a full year. So head on over to MyMerryChristmas.com and start enjoying Christmas all year long. The original recipes for bishops are simple and direct, making a wonderful and tasty mulled drink, which is easy enough to make up and serve straight away, or then cool and recork the empty bottles to mature for a few days before reheating and serving. Maturing it for a few days takes the ragged edge off the bishop, making it a very smooth and bright drink, although this in no way means it cannot be enjoyed after the initial mulling. The early ragged and piercing nature of a bishop makes it in many ways a real classic and a potent drink to enjoy on a cold night. To make a proper smoking bishop, you have to do a little preparation. The day before, bake large oranges and lemons in the oven on a shallow baking tray with a lip to contain any leaking juice on a low heat at 120 degrees centigrade until they are pale brown after about an hour and a half if any liquid leaks out from the fruit when baking pour this from the tray into the bowl with the fruit and wine after the fruit is baked in the oven stud the oranges and lemons with whole cloves pricked into each place into a large bowl and then add the ginger cinnamon allspice and mace add sugar and pour in the wine but not the port or the cinnamon sticks stir gently for a few minutes cover and leave in a warm place overnight or for 24 hours. The next day, cut the baked oranges and lemons in half and squeeze out all the juice into the spiced wine in the bowl. Do not worry about adding the pulp in the pips, this will be strained through a sieve next. Pour the wine, fruit and spice mix through a sieve into a large saucepan. Use the back of a spoon to press out the juice from the pulp in the sieve. Then add the cinnamon sticks, heat the wine for a high simmer for 5 minutes. Then turn down the heat under the saucepan and add the port and heat for 20 minutes, very gently. So not to boil away the alcohol. In the last two minutes, turn up the heat to a medium simmer to get the bishop smoking hot with vapours. When the bishop is hot through and smoking, pour into a heatproof punch bowl or serving jug, including the cinnamon sticks with fresh cut wedges of lemon and orange and serve in goblets or heat-proof glasses. And drink warm. Or you can take the advice from Eliza Acton in 1845 and either grate a little nutmeg on top of the bishop in the serving bowl or as I do grate it individually on the top of Bishop in the glasses if people request it. The earliest full English recipe for Bishop known to me is to be found in the lovely and incredibly rare book first published in Oxford in 1827 called Oxford Nightcaps. This collection contains recipes for many of the so-called alcoholic nightcaps favored by the time of students and dons of the Oxford Colleges. In his yearbook, the great Georgian antiquarian William Hone gives a favorable review to this 42-page pamphlet. In the evenings of this cold and dreary season, the dead of winter, a comfortable potation strengthens the heart of the healthy and cheers the spirits of the feeble. The author of Oxford Nightcap's Richard Cook opens his book with a discussion of the history of Bishop. He suggests that it derives its name from the circumstance of ancient dignitaries of the church when they honoured the university with a visit, being regaled with spiced wine. Dick Hummelbergis Secundus, believed to be a pseudonym for English author William Beckford, alludes to this jest in his witty 1829 work Episcian Morsels. With well, the tales of the table, kitchen, and larder, referring to the drink as a popular Oxford nightcap. Speaking of being regaled with spiced wine, in the 19th century Protestant England, partaking of this aptly named drink would have been a cheeky dig at the Catholic Church. While the recipe originally calls for lemons, over time they were universally replaced with the sweeter choice of oranges with most sharing a specification for Seville oranges, a.k.a. bitter oranges. These, however, are a seasonal variety. Cedric Dickens notes them only being available in the winter months. Because of this, his text suggests making large quantities of the mix so that come summer you can have a bishop's cup. To do that, don't add the port, but fortify it with a tot of orange brandy before serving at the port and half a pint of water. As shared by historian and wine master Elizabeth Gabay in an article on the NPR's The Salt, the bishop is the most famous of a family of warm drinks, mainly punches, called ecclesiastics. Concoctions with names like in Victorian England essentially stood as sippable versions of religious mockery. They were even served sometimes in a bishop's mitre-shaped vessel, explains Gabay, for another level of ridicule. Lawn sleeves was made with madeira or sherry rather than port to impart a satiny texture. Three glasses of hot calves feet jelly were added. Cardinal was made with the same way as a bishop but with claret instead of port. A pope was made with champagne using exactly the same method. Another variant called the cider bishop was made with obviously a bottle of cider, a pint of brandy and two glasses of calf's feet jelly. It seems strange to us today to add melted calves-feet jelly, but this also appears in a number of other Oxford nightcaps such as a negus, Oxford punch, and a storative. At this time, this crystal clear, nutritious jelly could be readily be purchased in a prepared block from the butcher's. Published in 1843, A Christmas Carol and Scrooge's Serving of the Smoking Bishop also acted as a commentary on the era's class divides. Being a formerly underpaid bookkeeper with barely the means to feed his family, Bob would not have had the means to purchase port, even on such a special day as Christmas. Scrooge, on the other hand, as a money lender, probably had a cellar full. Working-class Victorians writes Andrea Bloomfield, author of Food and Cooking in Victorian England, A History, could not afford such fancy drinks, but they often enjoyed a bottle of homemade wine with their Christmas dinner. The Cratchits, in Scrooge's version of Christmas Present, treated themselves to a hot holiday gin punch. The latter being a drink, she specifies, was popular among the poor at the time. Thus, Scrooge expresses his newfound charity by offering Bob a very special treat to show he's turned a new, more generous leaf. And there's something to be said about Scrooge and Bob sharing a glass of punch, particularly. It implies togetherness in a way that a stand alone glass of even Scrooge's priciest port does not. The punch bowl is a communal drinking vessel, bringing people together for nothing other than merriment. And sharing such a holiday tipple is a British pastime that remains a quintessential symbol of Christmas togetherness today. Thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available on all your favorite podcast players. Please, if you can leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker as a personal thank you. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at Podcast at gmail.com to let me know how you like the show, suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. I know we all get busy so even sharing the podcast with someone you know who loves christmas would be a great help and if you're feeling extra generous this season you can buy me an eggnog head on over to seasonseatingspodcast.com and click on the little cup in the corner each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated seasons Eatings has great items for you or your loved ones this holiday season So head on over to SeasonsEatings.com, click on the Merchandise tab to find your next great gift. I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and thank you for listening and tune in again for another serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is also part of the Christmas Podcast Network. Whatever interest you have with the holidays, there's probably a podcast out there covering that topic. You can find Seasons Eatings with all the other podcasts at ChristmasPodcast.com. Drop on by to find your next podcast addiction. All music for Seasons Eatings is under the Creative Commons license.